We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna. I don't believe I'm hurt. I, even when I saw the initial break, I thought we could put it back in place, and I thought I was going to be able to play. So um, it was just unfortunate with a thumb injury. They always pretty much go straight to surgery. Uh, with any of the other fingers, I might not have even had to go into surgery. So it's just unfortunate it was the thumb. But for the most part, I've been impressed with uh, how, I, how it's been feeling out of the cast. Uh, the trainers have been too. I just got to continue to get examined uh, by team doctors. Uh, and they're going to let me know uh, when I can go. But for the most part, I'm trying to do everything possible that I can do right now with just hand strengthening, uh, hand movement, flexibility and stuff, just so when it is that time for me to come in, I can go back right into playing and uh, help that team. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Jordan Matthews from buffalobills.com during a recent interview talking about his recovery. Guys, a lot to get to tonight. We're fresh off the bye. Who else feels good? Does anyone else feel rested? You know what I mean? It's I a, do. It's a Tuesday. I got to sit in my basement and watch football. There was no screaming. There was no throwing furniture. I, I, I was in a good mood all day. And it was fantastic. And you know why it's fantastic, folks? Because I'm a winner. You uh, murdered that um, that Reaper challenge. I didn't think you I, you had it in you. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking about the Reaper Wing challenge here for weeks. And finally, Saturday night, in front of hundreds of people watching live on Twitter and on Facebook, I completed the Reaper challenge. I am only the third person on the face of the earth who can say that they've done it. That's shocking. <laughs> I honestly didn't think you could do it. And you kept... Burping and choking, and <laughs> folks, I don't want to give any uh, no delusions of grandeur here. I, I mean, when it came to doing this Reaper Wing Challenge, now this was straight uncut Reaper Wing mash, straight from pu- the Pucker Butt Pepper Company, and these ten wings were doused in it. 
And I, I went into the challenge pretty cocky because I, in my head I was like, oh, well, you know, when you get to the, I, every video I watched of previous failures, I thought to myself, everyone stops eating at five wings. Hold on. Well, those guys are wusses. Hold I on. can do that. Side note. The first time I ever watched a football game with you was at a shitty bar in uh, Amherst called the University, and it was a beer blast for your softball team. Mm-hmm. Atlanta at Buffalo from Toronto. Yep. You and your softball buddies got wings, and you also brought your own hot sauce. Yep. Who the hell does who brings their own sauce? People who are literally capable of eating the hottest stuff on the planet, Chris, which is where I fall into. <laughs> Guys, I ate 10 chicken wings, demolished them all, and then victoriously wrote out the five minutes of burn time. The video is on Facebook. There's going to be a link in the show in the, in the uh, description of the show tonight if you want to go just watch because the owner of Wise Guys Pizzeria got the best vantage point of the entire thing. Now, I don't want to make this all sound like it was rosy. Guys, this was hell. My night was shit. And by the end of it, I did not feel like a winner. I mean, just listen to this audio. This is me during the final seconds of the five minutes of burn time. I feel like Hulk Hogan when he's trying to Hulk up. Here we go. When the world's against him. He's trying to Hulk up so he can body slam the giant. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, my voice was cracking. I was sweating out of every pore of my body. Everything hurt. My face, I had sauce on my face, which had caused my lips and parts of my face to go numb. I couldn't feel my hands, and my hands were shaking uncontrollably. Yeah, for people that, <laughs> for, for people that don't know that Carolina Reaper pepper is like 1.6 Scoville units. For those of you who have a hard time envisioning what 1.1 to 1.6 Scoville units is, picture that a jalapeno pepper, fresh, if you were to take a jalapeno pepper and take a bite out of it, it's 2,800 Scovilles. The Reaper this pepper, pepper is, is like 1.1 million. 1.1 yeah. 1 million. Yeah, and Jay brought extra like, here, <laughs> everyone else try one. No. No, I'm not Jay. a raving lunatic. Guys, Wise Guys, big thank you to Wise Guys Pizzeria for putting us up and making this whole thing possible. But I'll tell you, it feels good to be the champ, okay? Now, I will say that the following 12 hours after I ate those Reaper wings were hell. At one point... My girlfriend approached me, my fiance, I should say, approached me as I'm pacing the house nude because my, the, the, just these, I would get these flashes of excruciating heat and I would sweat uncontrollably for like 10, 15 minutes at a time. I felt like I was literally on fire just from head to toe. She approached me and said, hey, maybe I should take you to St. Joe's, which is a hospital around the corner from us. And I refused to go get medical attention, not because I wasn't under just a severe amount of pain and just didn't know. I I didn't know that I was going to be okay in that moment. I just knew that I didn't have it in me to explain to another human being, especially a medical professional, how I ended up at the emergency room from eating hot pepper sauce. I wasn't going to have that conversation with anybody. So instead, I suffered. And I'll tell you, the worst part wasn't the mouth burn, wasn't the numbness. It was my hands. The oil in this hot sauce, I mean, the oil from those peppers is so intense. I did the challenge at what, Chris? Eight, uh, we'll call it eight, eight, ten at night, eight o'clock. Just after eight o'clock. Just after eight o'clock, we started the challenge. Yesterday at three o'clock in the afternoon, my hands still kind of burned. 
on and off. Throughout the course of the night in the 12 hours after the challenge, my hands from wrist to fingertips would just just all of a sudden just start on fire. They would burn uncontrollably. I tried everything. I tried rubbing alcohol. I tried milk. And then the inevitable truth is that if, if it, the oil is still on your hands, then you know it's going to get everywhere else. So over the course of the evening, I got hot sauce in my eye. I got hot sauce in my nostrils, just from my fingertips, just a contact burn. And I hate to admit this, but I have to for the sake of transparency. Probably one of the lowest moments of my entire life. If you had told me when I was 22 years old that at 32, I would be standing in my kitchen, soaking my nether regions in a bowl full of milk because I had inadvertently touched them after having hot peppers on them that hot, I would have called you a liar. And yet there I was. There I was. My life was hell. So, folks, it is good to be the king. I dare any one of you to go to Wise Guys Pizzeria and try it, but I'll tell you, I will never do that again. Yeah, Wise, Go- <laughs> wise Guys on South Buff- in South Buffalo on Seneca Street. And uh, Jay gave us a bunch of swag, and we do have six gift certificates to give away oh, yeah, we're at raffle. some point. Well, no, so tonight, we, we said it before, anyone who, t- who follows us on Twitter and retweeted the video is going to be automatically entered into a raffle to win two of these gift certificates. So stay posted to us on Twitter after the show to find out who won. I want to give one away now. To <laughs> whoever downloads this first. And whoever downloads whoever, first. Well, not, not that. Whoever downloads and listens to this, tweet at us and call Drew a douchebag. You automatically get one. All right, there I'll, we go. That's yeah. the challenge. Yeah, just first one to tweet at us. <clears throat> And call Drew a douchebag. I will put a $20 Wise Guys gift card in the mail to that person. And now, folks, as we always do, we're going to move on straight into the this week's Bills News Update. Every Tuesday, every Tuesday we get together and we record this podcast. And seemingly every week, Brandon Bean knows that I already have my rundown set and that I already know what I'm going to talk about, which is why he makes roster moves. Are you not smart? fuck with me. Are you not smart enough to know <laughs> that today's an off day for the players? That's when people come in and they do their workouts and they sign people. All right. Well, today the Bills signed Deontay Thompson, wide receiver, formerly out of Chicago. They've released Joe Banyard in order to make room for him. Now, Bills fans who have no lives, okay, or, that would or interests be, that would be outside you. of football may remember Deontay Thompson from, from his one career start for the Buffalo Bills, in which he caught no passes. How many targets? None. <laughs> Very useful. He did, however, manage to start a number of games over the last few years for the Chicago Bears. Last year, he had 125 yards and 11 catches, and that, that was off of just three starts. And he was only active for five games total. And he caught a touchdown pass. Now, at 28 years old, he's an experienced pro with a ton of special teams experience. But the important thing to me of this signing means that it should finally put to rest all of the talk about Brandon Riley and about Malachi Dupree, bringing up one of these practice squad wide receivers. Now, that doesn't mean that those guys can never be anything. But a signing of a street-free agent instead of promoting someone who's been with you since the offseason program started, the staff must believe that these guys aren't ready yet. And that rather than ruin their development, 
They'd rather give somebody who has some NFL experience a shot at trying to make a difference on this roster. Did you hear about Riley? No. <laughs> he missed his connecting flight from Chicago on Sunday. He had to take an Uber from Chicago to Buffalo. <laughs> it just seems like that's a thing that just keeps happening. Yeah. <laughs> what is it about flying? Maybe guys should just stop flying out of Chicago. Yeah. He tried. <laughs> well, he tried looking at all the connecting flights to like a Cleveland, Pittsburgh, <clears throat> Rochester, Syracuse. Couldn't find Not, him. Couldn't find anything. I bet he so, was frustrated. Yeah, I oh. want. I wonder if he uh, contacted Sharice Wright to find out who his Uber driver was from Chicago when he had to do that. Uh, I believe in the off season. Well, as frustrated as he must have been trying to find a way home, or at least back here to Buffalo. That's how I feel talking about trades. But unfortunately, it's necessary, so let's get this done and over with. <laughs> and guys, for those of you listening out there who have gotten used to my weekly beer reviews, tonight Chris has handed me a UFO Cranberry. I was going to give him something else, but he was like, oh, give me that. Give me, the, give me this piece of shit. I drank one of those, and I hate those. All right. Well, here we go. First time out of the gate, UFO Cranberry. It's going to be like comparable to the grapefruit. Oh, my God. What is it? Ugh. <laughs> I don't know if it's beer or wine, but either way, it tastes like it's been poured through a boot. <laughs> Chris, what did you do? It was in a sampler pack. You purchased this. It was in a sampler <laughs> pack. Oh, Christ. It's the same shit I give you, but when you I come over and you make me drink your rusty chains, <laughs> I go to sampler pack. That's exactly what I got. You're going to have to drink that whole thing. So when we talk about trades, folks, on Saturday night during our show, before I did the Wing Challenge, I discussed the fact that everybody in this city is busy speculating and fantasizing about trades they think that the Buffalo Bills can or should make. But the truth is that there are few that are realistic or likely. Okay, it's not going to happen before the trade deadline. First and foremost, anybody calling for the trade of Darius just isn't taking into account the fact that he is a monstrous cap figure. And that means that most teams can't afford to trade for him unless we retain a bunch of his salary, which makes trading him kind of pointless because I thought the reason for getting rid of him was that he wasn't performing up to his contract. Doesn't his doesn't his cap figure no go down? Not for two more seasons. Okay, and then by that point... 17 million a year. Oh, and then it goes down to 15, I think. Well, we restructure. We we allowed him to fall into this position, well, and every, now we're I'm stuck just, with him. I'm just saying, every year that he plays, the value we could get for him goes down. Okay, but so even instead re- of getting like a second or third, but and, and and so you are you represent the, the the groups of people that I can't stand when you talk about trades because yes, his value goes down well, I don't every think we're year gonna... he plays. But here's what I'm saying: from a realist standpoint, I see Marcel Darius not performing up to his contract, if we have to retain salary, then we're still paying for a player who isn't performing at a high level. And at the same time, we still have to sign another guy to take that spot. That is not a move that smart GMs make. Because then you're that, that's how you end up in cap hell. That's how you end up with cap problems, a la Doug Whaley. You just keep paying people who aren't worth their contracts, but you pay them to keep them around. Well, how stupid would it be to let someone leave and then still pay for him to be here? I, I just, I can't make my peace with it, and I'm telling you it won't happen. My Seagram's bet, if Marcel Darius gets traded this season, I'll drink a case. I'll drink a case of Seagram's. Moving on, Cordy Glenn. That's been the next one. CBS Sports has gotten in on it. 
fans all over social media have gotten in on it. Cordy Glenn is not a viable trade option. I know the Seahawks inquired about him and said that, oh, his price tag is huge, so we got scared away. Yes, because he is an effective player. He hasn't been healthy enough to start in two weeks. Any return that we get, teams are looking to lowball us. To say, look, we know he can be a franchise left tackle, but he's hurt right now and you're playing someone else there, so maybe you'd give him to me for nothing. It's like in fantasy football when you're trying to trade rape one of your friends. Just to be like, oh, hey, I'm gonna. your team sucks. So since you suck, I'm going to trade you this no-name. T- I'm going to trade you a mediocre tight end, but I want a, a decent running back. Those trades don't fly. And in the NFL, it's even harder to, to make that work. I mean, at this point, trading Glenn at his current value doesn't make much sense because teams won't pay what we think he's worth. It's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. Plus, that was reported by... Uh, Jason Lockenfora of CBS Sports, and he is about as reliable as uh, Wikipedia. My God, my second sip of this UFO. It's, it says it's a refreshing Hefenweizen infused with cr- fresh cranberries. I don't taste Hefenweizen. I taste cranberry. And asshole. I, take, I taste cranberry and bush light. That's what I taste. Oh, my God. And then, you know, people are talking about trading away draft assets, okay? Not yet. But, 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 but here's the thing. What type of players would be available for just draft picks? I can think of two, okay? Carlos Hyde. Now, Benjamin Albright from KDCO AM 1340 in Denver with Mile High Sports Radio is reporting that the team is actively shopping second-round pick Carlos Hyde. Hyde, anybody who plays fantasy football knows who Carlos Hyde is. He's a talented back who has the ability to be a three-down runner. As part of a platoon, I think he could be even more effective. But the question is, what is the asking price? I mean, they just cut Navarro Bowman. Okay? Yeah, he signed with the Raiders. And and Brandon Bean has said that he has interest in acquiring another running back. Now, you could have a great one-two punch with Carlos Hyde and LaShawn McCoy, but the question is, what does it cost? What is the cost of acquiring a true three-down running back like that? I think it's going to be more than the Bills are willing to part with. Considering, if any if anybody says, oh, we'll just trade away one of your top 90 picks, absolutely not. No. Why don't you That's just use, value. Why don't you just use one of those top 90 to picks running to back. get one? Exactly. And then wide receiver Martavius Bryant. After Sunday's game, Bryant went on Twitter and bitched about his playing time and his lack of snaps, which then he did, you know, he did the politically correct, you know, athlete thing. At least he didn't say he got hacked. Instead, he deleted the tweet and then said he didn't know what anyone was talking about, even though his girlfriend went on record and still corroborated the fact that he's not happy. But right now they're all making nice over in Pittsburgh. The fact is I can see why Bryant would be unhappy. In 2015, he, well, 2014 and 15, he averaged 657 yards and seven touchdowns over the course of two years. Then he gets suspended for all of last year. Since then, he's fallen behind Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, even Le'Veon Bell when it comes to passing targets. Why would you be, why would he be ahead of Antonio Brown? No, no. I don't think he would be ahead of him. Other than the he fact will that he's never a much, be ahead of Antonio Brown. But when you look at everyone else on that roster, I mean, Eli Rogers, these other, these other guys are on, he's been reduced 
to a third or fourth wide receiver on the depth chart. I can see why a guy who knows that he's a talented wide receiver would be pissed off about that. So it seems like he's got character issues. Well, here's the thing. Even though he's recanted, the Steelers are like, well, we don't care. We're not trading him. The Steelers have said it. But I, I shouldn't say said it publicly. It's been, it's been told by sports outlets that the Steelers are highly unlikely, unless a trade blows their socks off, to trade for him. And I know that there's going to be Bills fans out there listening that just say, oh, he's worth a second-round pick. Look what he's capable of. You're right. He would make a fantastic addition to our wide receiver core. He's probably, I mean, you see Zay Jones. Zay Jones is a second-round wide receiver. If we offered the Steelers a second-round pick from Artavius Bryant, they would probably jump at it, and he would immediately become the most, the most talented member of our wide receiver core right now. But he, also, he ultimately has to be vetted by whichever team decides to trade for him. Consider the fact that he was banned for an entire year for multiple violations of the NFL drug policy. I'm sorry, does that sound like a guy who fits this character that Sean McDermott's trying to cultivate here on this team? No, I don't want him. No, and he is one infraction away from being Josh Gordon. Yeah, no, thank you. Do you you trust that? No, I'll pass. Enough to wager a second-round draft pick on it, because I don't. I'll pass. Thank you. I mean, the fact remains, guys, as we get close to the trade deadline, there just aren't many skill position players that are going to be made available that are capable of making enough of a difference to warrant giving up future assets. I can't even remember a time where there was a NFL trade at the deadline that mattered. No, I, I mean, I, I mean, I'll say the trade for Adrian Peterson by the Cardinals is genius. Look at how well he performed this past weekend. All right, that's one week. But as far as meaningful trades that happen midseason, we haven't seen them in a long time. I can't think of the last one. Neither can I. That's why I brought it up. I mean, I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to is it's on this team. Okay, there is no, there is no white knight that's going to ride in here and save the 2017 Buffalo Bills. There's nobody out there on waivers. There's no free agent. There's, an, I mean, the only free agent signing I think makes any sense. If Bean's looking for a running back, you know who's on the Broncos practice squad? Jonathan Williams. He spent all of training camp with you. He flashed like he knows what he's doing. Okay, if you're that desperate for another running back, go get him. Go get him. Bring him in here. He knows the playbook. Bring him in and let's play ball. If not, then I don't see where it's feasible that we do anything significant at any of the skill positions on our offense, which means this is our team. And instead of relying on some new answer, maybe we just look at the fact that it is on this staff and it is on these players. Okay, You got to dig deep, better execution, drill it into Tyrod's head that he needs to make better decisions with the football and capitalize on the fact that we are still seeing the most loaded boxes, eight and nine man defensive fronts in the entire league. There will be options out there on game day to make plays. There's going to be things that pop up and it's on our quarterback and it's on our coordinator to find a way to get the most out of them. Having said that, the opportunities are going to be there and I still feel good about our team's chances. I mean, Chris, how do you feel? Coming off the bye, we're three and two. I, I had predicted preseason that if things didn't start right, we could be one in six by the time the season really got rolling. I don't think anybody expected us to be three and two at the bye. No. And I still want a quarterback in April. I want more losses. Give me more <laughs> losses, please. I want, I want a quarterback. 
Yeah, well, guess what? We, we can't always have what we want, Chris. And the reason I say that is because I don't think that we're going to be bad enough to find. I mean, you look at what's going on around the league. There's a lot of terrible teams. I just don't think we're going to be bad enough, especially coming out of the bye. I mean, when you take a look at who we are, last week we talked to Nate Geary and talked about all the reasons that fans should be optimistic coming out of this bye. Well, this week we got a, we got more news now that they're back to practice. Guys have had another week of rest, had, didn't have to play. It gives us a chance to take a look at who's coming back from injury and what our roster's looking like and who's coming back. Our roster's getting stronger. First and foremost, Chantrell Henderson is back. Activated to the active roster. I mean, a lot of people worried. I in particular, thought that there was a good possibility that he might get treated like Walter Powell and shown the door as soon as he came back from his suspension. Instead, he's back. He's on the active roster. Now, I don't know how how long they'll take to work him in, considering he hasn't played at all this season. But I do think that he has experience at both left tackle and right tackle. And given that, he could, not only does he provide depth, but he could, if Mills continues to play the way he is, he used to play right tackle. He was our starting right tackle for, what, two seasons. Yep. There's a possibility that the team likes him for that and will at least start to work him into that competition. That's exactly why he didn't get cut is because McDermott knows that our offensive line is just straight trash you talk about a right <laughs> side on a weekly basis yep and i honestly think he'll come in he might not get you know a full load of snaps on sunday but i think he'll play a little bit oh i i'd like to see him out there dressed chris i gotta tell you i just took a big pull trying to finish this ufo cranberry I've got the shivers. Like, it gave me a shiver down the back of my neck. It says on the can, a little sweet, a little tart, and a lot of delicious. But I will tell you that... Uh, and then, and then there the, is no delicious. There is nothing delicious about this. And it says, Flavor Adventures Departing Daily. No, this this, this thing is terrible. I don't know where these uh, departures are going. <laughs> Hopefully somewhere that they never come back from. My God, whoever made this should be ashamed of themselves. I'm going to finish this off. Moving on. Linebacker Matt Milano. Okay, now he's a guy I want to talk about when it comes to the roster. He's still filling in for Ramon Humber, and I think that he's going to get a lot more opportunity to see coverage snaps after how well he performed last uh, last week against the, uh, what is it, the Bengals. Yep. I think that... Frazier said uh, Humber, if Milano keeps continuing to play as good as he is, that Humber's going to come back and take that spot. Said that on his press conference, but offered nothing substantial about it <laughs> because to where I could get some goddamn audio. Because this coaching staff is the they're kings of saying something yet saying nothing. Ultimately, what I think is that Matt Milano is really endearing himself to the coaching staff. He's gotten an opportunity to start, and now he's proving that their their selection of him in the draft may not have been a terrible idea. He's played really well in that last game. You know they're going to give him more looks this week. And when Humber comes back, I expect to see both of them playing inside of a nickel package together. He's just got better coverage skills than Preston Brown does. I think that that's a big development for this football team moving forward, finding out what you have in guys like that. Then you've got EJ Gaines. And, I mean, and Leonard Johnson. You know, two, two cornerbacks who at the start of the season played big roles for this team. 
Now, right now, EJ Gaines and Leonard Johnson are both limited participants in practice. And I'm assuming that they're going to have to do at least a full practice, maybe even two, before they'll start a game. Having said that, I have the feeling that one of them is closer. I know Sharice Wright is back to a full participant at practice, but that leaves Sharice Wright and Tredavious White as my whoa, whoa, my starting two cornerbacks on Sunday. There's no depth behind them at this point. However, in order to activate Chantrell Henderson to the roster, they cut Greg Mabin and sent him back. I'm assuming they'll still try to sign him to the practice squad. But having said that, you don't cut a guy who was just playing a bunch of snaps for you last week if you don't know that you have somebody else coming in to take his spot. So my assumption is that we will see one of these two, either EJ Gaines or Leonard Johnson, playing in a significant role on Sunday. I mean, that's the only reason you make that move, right, Chris? Yeah. One of those guys got to be coming back. Hopefully, who's taller? I think I believe Leonard Johnson. All right, I'd like him to play because Mike <laughs> Evans is huge. Oh, of course. And then we were just talking about Ramon Humber. He's week to week with a broken hand. He's probably going to be back, at, I would say, at some point before the Saints, week 10, which is funny because that's where he came from, was playing from the Saints. I expect him to be active at some point before then. Considering the nature of his injury, fans shouldn't worry because he's going to, I mean, it's a hand injury for a linebacker. He was out there playing in the Falcons game with a club. So, I mean, he's you're not going to see a noticeable drop-off in his production. And in fact, now that we know that we have Matt Milano, our linebacking core may have just gotten better. I know I hate to say that. It sounds stupid. But with Humber going down and us finding out what we have in Matt Milano and the coaching staff starting to learn that maybe they can trust him, maybe our linebacking core just got a little bit better. Because they know that they can platoon these guys in different ways. Yeah, it shows you what you know because you hated Milano. Oh, I hated that pick. <laughs> so who's a horse's ass? This guy. And then you've got wide receiver Jordan Matthews. You heard it in the intro. Heard it He's in the intro. out of the cast. And apparently, I didn't know this, the thumb is really the only finger that if you break, you got to get surgery. Yep. Because he thought he could have. He said it in the intro. You you could have popped it back. You thought, oh, just pop it back in. Let me play. (laughs) I'll tell you this. It's not how it works. Having broken many fingers and many toes, I will tell you that uh, as long as it's not your thumb, you see a kid break his thumb, you always see that guy in a cast or in some kind of one of those soft sleeve type casts with the bars in it. Fingers? Oh, no, you buddy tape that shit up and you go play. (laughs) You You tape it to the guy next to it. You ice it to keep the swelling down, and if, if you're able, if you can handle the pain, well, then you go about your business with it. That's the way fingers work. Because once you break it, it's broken. And if it's dislocated, then it's dislocated. There's nothing you can do about it. But it will eventually go back. It will eventually heal. Yeah, and we need him out on that goddamn <laughs> field. I think that he is the most important of all of our injured players. When you look at look at the guys who have suffered some significant injuries – He's the one that I look at and I say, okay, Jordan Matthews needs to come back ASAP because we need something. We saw it last game. We don't have, even though wide receivers were getting open, we don't have the type of game-breaking talent. He's the only one. He's the only one who has a high level of talent. His ceiling as a wide receiver is the highest. 
Ergo, he will command the most respect from an opposing defense. We need a guy like that on this team. We can't allow another team to just blanket coverage us in single coverage because they know that we can't. You know, oh, if we if we double team Holmes, Zay Jones isn't going to catch the ball, and we'll double team their tight end. And now what? Zach, I from what I heard in his interview that he gave on Monday, and then some of the pictures from practice. I know it's only Tuesday. I think Jordan Matthews is playing on Sunday. I, I, one can only hope. And I'll tell you why. We're, we're reaching the most critical stretch here for the Buffalo Bills. You know, We're entering a portion of the season where everything is really up for grabs. You know, And these next five games, we're going to figure out what the Buffalo Bills are in 2017. I can tell you what they are. They're going to be in the hunt <laughs> on the TV graphic like we are every year. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what they won't be is sitting here drinking UFO cranberry because this stuff is done and I'm done. I'll never touch one of these things again. That's awful. Now, the reason why is because the AFC AFC is in shambles. When you look, I, I mean, I can understand why fans are aching for trades and they're, you know, bitching about the injuries and how we need to fix everything. But looking over the standings, the AFC is a damn mess. It's a mess. We're still in a playoff spot. The Bills are currently ranked fifth and in a wild card position because, I mean, we no longer hold the division lead. Behind them, though, everything gets murky. There are currently six teams sitting at three and three. There's another four teams with only two wins and one team with no wins. Who is that, Nate? <laughs> That's right. Because even with new coaches, new owners, and a new quarterback, and a boatload of draft picks, the Browns are still the mistake on the lake. The NFC currently has nine teams with winning records. The AFC has six. And of those six teams, every single one of them has some kind of a question mark. The Patriots have a suspect defense that essentially forces them to play elite-level offense in order to overcome their defense's shortcomings because their defense allows every team to keep most games close. They have to rely on, rely on Brady to pull off wins on almost a weekly basis. I think that's how their season's going to play out. Is You're going to look back at the end of the season, and almost every Patriot game is going to be like 38-35 Patriots or 35-31 Patriots. Okay, well, because they're going to out, they're going to, yeah, Brady, you're going to outscore every, you can outscore everyone. Yeah, but if you ask the New Orleans Saints, they will tell you that that's not a recipe that wins football games. It just doesn't. Then you look at what's, you look at everyone else here in the in the conference. Kansas City, Kansas City was undefeated heading into Sunday, and at home got held down and just, just not even. I wouldn't even say they got stopped. They just got suppressed by a Steelers team. That the week before that got the shit kicked out of it at home by the Jaguars. By the Jaguars and Blake Bortles. I just think Kansas City flat out laid an egg. I mean, it, 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 that game, I watched it. I was excited to see a high scoring, you know, really rough defensive matchup. And what I got was just teams that couldn't connect on offense enough to make anything happen. I mean, Kansas City at halftime had six total yards. Yeah, it was brutal. I mean, it was an ugly football game. So now I don't know what I have in the Steelers. I don't know what I have in Kansas City. I don't. I know what the Patriots are. They're a team that needs to score thirty in order to keep itself above the fray. 
Otherwise, they're going to allow teams to... They let the New York Jets score 17 points. Okay? Well, we all know it should have been 24. <laughs> we all know it should have been 24. And then you, you take a look at what's going on around us. I, I mean, Miami. You've got Miami. They're Miami. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. We and don't, like, you. What they have two, three weeks in a row scoring less than 10 points. Mm-hmm. And then they drop, like, 20 in the second half on the Falcons. And then we've already played and beaten Denver. So that's the top of the AFC right there. And then you look at what we have ahead of us. According to Vegas and the folks who compile statistics, the Dolphins and Jets face the first and third most difficult remaining schedules. Well, the Bills have the 19th. The Bills only play two teams with winning records over the next five games. And out of all of those opponents, none of those offenses outside of the Saints are what you would call explosive offenses. None of them are quarterbacked by an elite-level talent. Uh, Oakland's quarterback <laughs> by Derek Carr, elite-level talent. Guys, this is my and Chris's off-air argument for the ages. He claims that Derek Carr is elite, and he I is. say that he hasn't showed me that yet. He showed me that last year. Okay, and what's he doing this season? Well, You're going to blame the back injury that he says doesn't exist? That's why they didn't win the playoff game. Okay, Last well, year, according to he him, he's not. Leg. According to him, he's not injured this year. So, good luck with that. No, he's injured. He's got a back problem. <laughs> he says he's not. He's not on the team's injury report. So, well, if you're a, saying he is, he's then a goddamn liar. He's, a, <laughs> he's an elite quarterback, but he's a liar. Ultimately, I just look at what this what this conference is, and it's shaping up in a way that makes me think that if we can right the ship on offense, and at the very least, become more consistent, continue. Just continue being stout on defense. Take advantage of some of the things that are out there. Even if you're not scoring touchdowns, if you're still just kicking field goals, it doesn't matter. With a defense like ours, that could be the difference between wins and losses, like we saw in Cincinnati. There's a couple plays there where they got the ball and then had to punt a few plays later because they couldn't convert a first down. Get more consistent on offense. Convert on every possible opportunity. If they can get more more consistent in that aspect this conference is wide open right now we don't know what any of these teams are i mean we have a feeling you kind of have a feeling you're starting to figure out the patriots on defense are crap you're starting to figure out that hey maybe the kansas city chiefs aren't infallible because their offense doesn't have a whole lot of pop to it when you stack the box and make the game plan to stop kareem hunt kind of like teams are doing to the bills when you you know when when Alex Smith has a shit game, he has a shit game, and we saw it on Sunday. At the same time, you look at Philip Rivers with the Chargers. Okay, they're on a two-game winning streak, but who did they beat? The uh, Giants and the Raiders. <laughs> the winless Giants and the two-win Raiders. Okay, good, great. Talk to me when you play a real defense. This is what I mean. This conference hasn't proven anything. So there's no one here that I'm afraid of right now. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe I'm being an idiot right now. You are. <laughs> you are a huge idiot. Don't care. You are a huge idiot, A, because you ate those goddamn wings. And B, <laughs> you're forgetting that sometime in November and December, the Bills, they're going to Bills. They're going to Bills? Okay, well, I think that if we can't get if we can't get the ship right on offense, that doesn't mean we have to be scoring 24 points a game. No, I would Seagram's you right now. Just the, I would I would Seagram's you right now on the Bills are gonna Bills, but we we can't 
I can't pinpoint what that is because it's going to be something so over the top that my own brain can't <laughs> think of, of, of the Bills going to build. It'll happen. All I know It'll is happen, that there's no, trust me. There's no reason the Bills shouldn't be in the thick of the wild card hunt with the way the division is falling. If they can continue to be consistent on defense and find some consistency on offense. Especially because we don't know what our division is. And that brings us to this week's AFC East Roundup. Now, with the Bills sitting in our couches, you know, Bills fans relaxed for a Sunday, not screaming at the TV, not... not. <laughs> yeah, you were screaming at the TV on Sunday. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. Folks, I, I can't lie. I, I'm just a yeller. Yeah. I'm just a yeller. You, ha- you Yeah, you have it right off the bat, because Patriots and Jets played, and the ASJ phantom fumble out of the end zone. I got to tell you, it must be nice being a Patriots fan. You're on top of the division... And yet it took a miracle reception in the end zone, a kicker who literally yipped himself directly out of the NFL, and one of the most egregious examples of a blown call I've ever seen in my friggin' life to get you to 4-2. And to top it all off, Brady set the record for regular season wins by a quarterback in that game. Fucking gag me. Oh my god. On Fox, they had uh, Pereira and Blandino both said that they wouldn't have overturned that ASJ touchdown. The Patriots beat the Jets, who at one point held a 14-point lead. The only consistent matchup that thrived on offense for them was Gronkowski versus the Jets linebackers in secondary, which is to be expected. I mean, they have, they drafted Darren Lee in the first round. Oh, yeah. We what were, we were Snapchatting Joe Blewett. As, as, as Gronkowski just catches the ball directly over the top of Darren Lee because he's a midget. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't believe that didn't offend anybody. (laughs) What was surprising is the fact that Tom Brady was statistically speaking outperformed by Josh fucking McCown. (laughs) Here's Tom Brady's stat line. 20 of 38 for 52% completion. 257 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Josh McCown threw 31 of 47 for 66%. 354 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. And should have had another touchdown. And should have had another touchdown. Now, I think that this is less of an indictment of Brady and more of an eye-opener as to how shitty the Pats' defense really is. Yes, you can make the case that they played without their primary cornerback in Gilmore or his backup in Eric Rowe. I mean, I get it. They have injuries. One's out with an ankle injury and a concussion. The other one has a groin injury. But those aren't going to go away. Okay, they're, they're, they, they, Neither one of those guys may play this week. So what you're seeing right now is what you're going to get with the Pats defense. And for Pats fans, that means a team that has allowed five of their last six opponents to throw for more than 300 yards. I don't know that I've seen a defense let up this many passing yards. On a weekly basis. You know, sometimes the, the stats can lie. You look at a team's average and it says, oh, well, on the average, they let, you know, 305 yards per game. But then you look at the stats and you see that they played an Aaron Rodgers who threw for 550 yards on them. Okay, well, that's an aberration. In this case, they haven't played an elite level quarterback yet. They haven't. And yet they've allowed five of six to throw for 300 yards or more. I'm disappointed that the first Patriots game is a home game, so you'll be at the stadium. 
because I would love for this 300-yard trend the Patriots' Mm -hmm. defense has been doing to quarterbacks. I would love that to be us. Like, they keep giving up these 300-yard passing performances, (laughs) and then I would just want to watch you watch that game, and you... You're just going to blow your stack to no end if Tyrod doesn't hit 300 <laughs> yards against the Patriots. I mean, look at it. Deshaun Watson is the only quarterback to not hit 300 yards, and he's a rookie, and he only missed by eight yards. It could be six for six if if he had if one more checkdown receiver had caught his pass. They're also the NFL's second-worst scoring defense. Now, now, don't get me wrong, though. I'm not trying to say that the Jets were great by any stretch. McCown, for all of those statistics, did what McCown does. He threw up a ton of questionable passes. When you watch him play quarterback, it's like you're just holding your breath. I don't know how people are Jets like Jets fans sit here and watch games. Like you think about it, who did they beat recently? They beat the they're three and two. They beat the Browns. Ooh. They beat the Browns. And they who else did they beat? They had one other win against uh I'll check that right now. Keep talking. They lost to the Raiders, but in any event. I watched Josh McCown play quarterback, and I'm sorry, but he just, it's like I'm waiting for him to fuck up. I know he's got a bad, he's got a lame duck pass, or he's got a poor read in him. It's just waiting for when it's going to pop up and bite you in the ass. We got wins against the Dolphins, Jaguars in overtime, and Cleveland. Oh, good. (laughs) So you've beaten losers. Good, great, wonderful. Hey, they beat all of, well, almost all of Florida. (laughs) Almost all of Florida. (laughs) They're 3-0 against Florida. 2-0 two, two against Florida with two more games in hand on Florida. So there's one pass in particular with McCown that sticks out to me. It's a McCown original. You know, you stamp it with that, like, stamp. His brothers McC- do it. McCown approval. The McCown brand pass. Excuse me, brand pass. During the final drive of the game, they're trying to come back and tie everything up. On second down, McCown throws up just this duck of a ball that should have been an easy pick for one of the Patriots' defensive backs, Harmon. I mean, I get it. He's under pressure. But instead of being safe with the ball and just checking it down, because this is the game-winning drive. This is the last chance you're going to have at getting the ball in the end zone. So you need to take care of the football. Instead, he's getting pressured, and he just hucks the ball up. If it wasn't for ASJ being there to break up the interception... That would be the game. That's it. ASJ saved the day. And that's exactly what the Jets need to understand that your quarterback is. He's that asshole who's going to throw up those passes when he shouldn't, where he shouldn't. That's just who he is. You know, when, when the game is on the line, no McCown is bringing you back. Right now, the Patriots can enjoy the fact they're on top of the division. But through six weeks, we've learned that if Tom Brady isn't at his best, and his defense isn't playing a team with a quarterback like Josh McCown, who turns the ball over on multiple occasions, they are going to struggle to put teams away, which is almost the opposite of what the Bills have going on. I mean, if you look at it, we're the ones taking the ball away. We're the ones playing suppressive defense, and it's our offense that just struggles to get off the ground. Now, that doesn't bode well for the Patriots, considering that they've got what, I think three possible Hall of Fame quarterbacks left on their schedule. The Patriots have a matchup with the Falcons coming this week. And considering the way that their secondary is playing, if anybody out there has Julio Jones, my hat off to you because you're going to feast this week. 
I don't see any way, shape, or form that that secondary has all hands on deck enough to suppress the Falcons' offense. I just don't. Here we go. Patriots playing against Matt Ryan this week, followed by Phillip Rivers by week, Trevor Simeon, Derek Carr, whoever the Dolphins decide to throw out, Tyrod, Dolphins again, Big Ben, Tyrod, McCown. <laughs> I, there's three good quarterbacks. Three good quarterbacks. Left. Ben Rivers and Matt Ryan. But all three of those games could become losses if they don't play their cards right. Now, on the flip side of the coin, you've got the Jets. To their credit, they played better than I anticipated. McCown was able to exploit the breakdowns in the secondary. Robbie Anderson. I mean, I, I said it before the game. Watch Robbie Anderson. I started him in fantasy. He's a downfield weapon. He was their leading receiver. Meanwhile, that tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins. He is being their guy. He was second on the team in targets, and for a second straight week, found the end zone. Should have been twice. I think that the Jets' offensive coordinator is trying to find his way. He's trying to find a way to keep McCown out of trouble while giving him easy reads because he knows what McCown is. I mean, this week they're going to take on the Dolphins and a top-10 defense, meaning that they're going to need a lot more from that side of the ball, and that's going to be an interesting matchup to watch. And that brings us to those pricks wearing teal down in fucking Florida, the Miami Dolphins. This week, they, I swear to Christ, it's right up there with the Chiefs win over the Patriots in week one. Most surprising win of the season for me. The Dolphins go into the Falcon Stadium and handle their business and win 20 to 13. Nobody saw that coming. No, they were 13 point favorite. They were 13 13 and a half. Biggest spread of the season. How did they? I've got to hand it to Miami. I mean, I'll say this. I I will try to be congratulatory. They went out and did what they failed to do for the last month and a half, which is run the fucking football. Jay Ajayi had a vintage performance, 130 yards on 26 carries. That allowed them to keep the Falcons defense off kilt and off the sideline. You can't blitz when you know there's a running back who's getting four or five yards a clip. So instead, you have no choice but to stay home and just try to defend the house, which takes some of the pressure off your quarterback. Why wouldn't you try to run the ball against Atlanta when Vic Beasley is out? Vic Beasley played. And he in did? fact, Vic Beasley is one of the reasons that I they didn't even lost know that. that game. I did not even know that. I Vic, thought he was out for like a month. Vic Beasley as a starter was extremely ineffective. There's no way he's healthy right now. Jesus, shows you what I know. Looking at that game, watching it, there's no way Vic Beasley is healthy because he didn't record a single quarterback pressure. Not one. That's the, as, as a pass rusher, as one of the best pass rushers from 2016, you shouldn't be out there. That's not especially only out- when, Especially... When you're going against a quarterback that has the mobility of a traffic cone. I'll say this. That's not on Vic Beasley because players are going to want to play. That's on the coach. Okay, That is on. That's on, uh, well, what's his name? Uh, Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn from the formerly the uh, Seahawks, right? Correct. Okay. Well, this is what I'll say. <sighs> the, 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 the Miami D, they're underrated, and they came together, and it kind of mixed with Good running from the Miami Dolphins, good defense by the Dolphins, shitty play calling by the Falcons, and came together in this improbable victory. Now, I don't want to give the Finns too much credit here. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Their new defensive coordinator does seem to be getting better. You know, I've got Devonta Freeman on my fantasy team, and I 
couldn't wrap my head around his numbers. You know, I just I looked at it and I said, why isn't he doing better? So I really started paying attention to the game as it was on TV. Their defensive coordinator did a great job in prepping for this football game. The thing that I saw, not only watching it live, but I noticed it, which is what drew me back into the, you know, you go to the all, you're not all 22 footage, but you go back to the, uh, what do you call that? The game pass there from NFL.com. And you watch some of the game and you'd say, why didn't this work? The one thing that the defensive coordinator of the Miami Dolphins did to really turn the tide of this game, he routinely found out whatever side Freeman was lining up on when, when you, when it was a passing situation. Whatever side of the field Coleman or Freeman would line up on, he would blitz from that side. Well, with just Julio Jones and no Muhammad Sanyu and just Taylor Gabriel and some random guy named Hall out there playing wide receiver, they essentially found a way to force the Falcons to keep their running backs in the backfield. And anybody who knows who has watched the Falcons knows that those both of those running backs are dynamic pass-catching threats. You get the ball in their hands in the flat, they're shifty in space, they can break tackles, they make a lot of plays after the catch. The defensive coordinator for the Dolphins knew that and came into this game and took the the running backs away from Matt Ryan in the passing game. And it ultimately threw off the, the balance of the Falcons' offense, which allowed them to use their superior defensive line and really keep them penned in on offense for most of the day. I mean, it's incredible when you see just a small wrinkle like that, how it ends up deciding a football game. And then, I mean, that that may seem like a small thing, but it was enough to get the job done. And then you hear it from Falcons fans. I go over to thefalcoholic.com, which is the SB Nation fan site for the Atlanta Falcons. Fans have about had it with Steve Sarkeesian. That's right. I mentioned an Alabama coach. I forgot. Chris loves the Dixie horn. Sarkeesian is really struggling to mix his play calls in a way that helps the offense string together scoring drives. I mean, we saw that during the Bills game. He really kind of, when we did something, you know, it's like that thing Mike Tyson says, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Well, Sarkeesian had a plan this week, and when he got punched in the mouth, he panicked. And their offensive game plan fell to shit. So this is twice now that he's lost at home to an AFC East team that everyone said was going to be bad coming into the season. I mean, Chris, what do you think about that? As be, being, being someone who hates Atlanta, what do you think about that? It's, that's a tough game for me to watch because I basically pretty much hate each team equally. <laughs> I mean, there are some similarities. Miami and Atlanta both don't have fan bases. Uh, to Miami... Hat wears orange and teal. I don't like that. No male should like that. <laughs> I mean, it's I I love seeing Atlanta lose because I I had a, a little bit of a, a hunch that you're gonna have a Super Bowl hangover this yeah. year. You should have one I love, when you're up twenty eight to three. I love Pro Football Focus's quote this week in the power rankings. Even though I hate them, I look at them just so I can laugh at them. And I looked at it. And they said for the Falcons, they were like, hey. The worst cure for a Super Bowl hangover is to continue saying you don't have one. <laughs> but I don't want everyone to get carried away and assume that that means that all is right with the world in Miami. I mean, you could just calm down a bit over there if you live in South Beach, Florida, because 
While Jay Ajayi surged for the first time all season, Cutler was still Cutler. This is Jay Cutler's stat line. 19 of 33 for 57%. 151, two touchdowns and a pick, and only four completions of over 10 yards. It's surprising that Cutler's playing like this, considering his best year ever was with Gase in Chicago. I'm not surprised. He's a bum. He's I am. washed up. He didn't spend the preseason with the football team, which means he's not going to be in his stride until week eight, nine, ten, which will be right around the time we're playing it. No, but he doesn't. he didn't have to come in and learn a new offense. He already knew it. Yeah, you say that, but he doesn't know the personnel. And that's huge. That's why I've been saying trading for a wide receiver for the Bills. You can't just plug and play wide receivers. This isn't Madden, okay? Ultimately, what stands out to me is the poor completion percentage, okay? You mean to tell me that you four completions over 10 yards means you weren't throwing the ball downfield very far, and yet you still couldn't complete. So if you were only throwing, if you threw, okay, so out of your 33 passes, Let's say you threw 10 of them deep and you only completed, not even deep, but over 10 yards, and you only completed four of them. That still leaves you 20 passes that were less than 10 yards that you didn't complete. What is that? (laughs) And yet he is a starting quarterback in the NFL. If Tyrod put up those numbers, people would be out with pitchforks and lit torches and it would be anarchy, just chaos in the streets. Already like that with Tyrod. <laughs> At least from my end, I don't like the guy. I don't know. I, all I know is, is that Dolphins fans seems to think that they seem to think that this is the the win that's going to spark, you know, spark a win streak for them. I think it's more of a flash in the pan, but we'll see. They're going to play the Jets this week, and the Jets defense just held the Patriots to twenty four points, which is surprisingly one of their lower totals of the season. Jets, Ravens, Raiders, Panthers. Their next four. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see if the wheels don't fall off that wagon sooner rather than later. And now the Bills get back to action, and that brings us to our Week 7 preview. Bills versus the Buccaneers. Here's all the important info. Starts at 1 o'clock. The location is New Era Field. I will be there. Sun's out, gun's out. No shirt on. Luchador mask. I'm looking for a cape. Let's go. Let's get this thing on. The weather, it's going to be about 73 degrees, cloudy with a light wind. The spread, no one knows because Fitzpatrick sucks so much that Vegas doesn't trust him to be the starter and put a bet on it. Exactly. And let's not point out, people people out there, you guys may not know this. (laughs) This is the second time ever Tampa Bay has been here, the last being in 2009. That surprises me. It just surprises me that this is only the second time they've ever been here. And guess what? The last time they came up here, we won. Exactly. So I'll take that. And for as, as bad as the Buccaneers franchise has been outside of the Gruden era, we've only played them 10 times, and we have a losing record against Tampa. <laughs> Tampa Bay is 7-3 and three all time against Buffalo. Okay. They hold the record right now. I didn't even get that. He asked me that off air before we started recording, and I, I wasn't even close. Yeah, you were like, oh, Buffalo probably has won. They're 6-4. and four. No, we've only won three games against Tampa, and nine of the ten have been in Tampa. <laughs> and the show is going to be on Fox. Chris Myers and Daryl Johnson, two guys that literally Chris showed me photos of them before we went on the air because I didn't recognize their names. They well, look Daryl like, Johnson's from the friggin' Cowboys. They look like... They look... 
Okay. Chris Myers. Yes. Looks, I showed you his face. He, he looks like generic white guy number four as an extra in a movie somewhere about Wall Street. <laughs> it's all I know. That's all I know about either one of these guys. So on to the injury news. For the Buffalo Bills, wide receiver Jordan Matthews. Thumb surgery. He's questionable. I call him doubtful. I don't I, think I, he he's plays. Playing. He's playing. I don't think he plays. He's See, Seagram. I'm not Seagram uh, betting that. Oh, because you know I'm right, you asshole. Surprisingly, tight end Nick O'Leary made the injury report this week as questionable with a lower body injury. Now, I think that's odd because I see it. You think that's a hands injury? But I haven't heard anything. You, hands? You, you look at all the notable, you know, everything on Twitter, all of the write-ups you read, you don't hear anything about Nick O'Leary. And yet I looked at an injury report that had Nick O'Leary questionable with a lower body injury. I told you, it's his hands. And then EJ Gaines and Leonard Johnson, both questionable at cornerback. Uh, for the Buccaneers, they've got Jameis Winston, okay? AC joint sprain in the shoulder. He's probable. Linebacker Quan Alexander, starting middle linebacker. Hamstring, he is questionable. They're really not sure whether or not he's going to start. Now, each week, we try to dissect our opponents, and for the Buccaneers, it starts on offense. And first and foremost, I gotta, I gotta wonder what the hell's going on with their rushing attack. The team got Doug Martin back from a two week from suspension two weeks ago, and they still have some talent. You know, they've got Jaquiz Rogers, they've got this uh, third year player in Charles Sims. They're currently ranked thirtieth in the NFL in rushing yards per game. You take a look at the stats through six games, and you see a trend start to develop. The teams that they struggled with were the Vikings, the Patriots, and the Cardinals. Okay? What do those three teams have in common? I'll tell you. Each of them has a decent to great interior defensive line and linebacker group, which apparently affected their game plan on offense. I mean, against the Vikings, the Buccaneers didn't attempt a single run up the middle or off left guard and only had two attempts off right guard. If you only run the ball outside the tackles for an entire game, you're asking to be shut down. And because they fell behind early, they completely abandoned the run altogether, which threw their offense off base. Nine total rushing attempts in that entire game. Against the Patriots, Tampa was a little bit better. They rushed 20 times for 90 yards. But 17 of that came, up on, came on one run up the middle. Take that outlier out of the equation, and the Buccaneers were just 3.1 yards per attempt on eight carries up the middle. And then, like the Vikings game, because they were behind big, the Buccaneers stopped rushing against the Cardinals this past week. On runs up the middle, Ryan Fitzpatrick was the team's leading rusher. I'm sorry, that, that's, that's pathetic. That should never happen. It tells me a couple of things. The team not only isn't proficient with blocking up against the middle, against teams with decent defensive lines, but when they fall behind, their offensive coordinator and coach are very quick to abandon the run altogether, which seems like a terrible idea because that lets defensive coordinators key in on what is the strength of your team in that passing attack. I mean, Chris, if you're a, if Chris, if you are an offensive coordinator and I know that you've got one thing you're real good at and one thing that you're okay at. If you stop doing the thing that you're okay at, you know I'm just going to start protecting the one thing that you do well, right? And I'm going to try to take it away. Yeah, it seems about right. 
So why would you do that? Because you're an asshole, folks. That's the answer. Now, that brings me to the wide receiving talent on this football team because it's incredible. I mean, to say that they're talented in the pass catching department would be a gross understatement. Everybody knows who Mike Evans is. If you play fantasy football, if you watch football, I mean, he's got consistent production ever since he was drafted in 2014. I will never forget the ESPN Sports Science with John Brinkus. Mike Evans, his catch radius Mm -hmm. is the circumference of uh, the backside of a garbage truck. What? A garbage truck. Throw trash in the garbage truck. His catch radius is equal to that. Holy shit. Well, it's it's huge. So it's not surprising to find out that he is the clear number one wide receiver on that football team. I mean, he beats defensive backs get beaten downfield because he has size and a monster catch radius. He's not the shiftiest guy, but because he's so physical, it makes him hard to box out when it comes to just jump balls. Behind him, Deshaun Jackson brings that speed element that the Bucs haven't had in the last few years. He's a, home, should, he's a home run threat anytime you get him the ball. We should point out anybody that's sitting in 200, uh, you, you might yell the same way about uh, bracket coverage from A.J. Green's <laughs> touchdown as it equates to Mike Evans. I'm, I'm assuming we're going to want to do that, bracket coverage. Oh, yeah, a little bit. Of, nah, you know what, though? See, this is the thing. They're so talented at wide receiver, you really can't afford to bracket one guy. They've got Deshaun Jackson, okay? He doesn't have the lateral agility that he used to, but at the same time, if you put the ball in his hands on the run, if he can get yards after the catch, he can take it to the house on any catch. Then you've got a guy named Adam Humphreys who's been up and down. I don't even really He's just some random white receiver. And then tight ends Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard. Surprisingly, Brait is the downfield passing threat. And they utilize O.J. Howard, former Alabama tight end, as more of an inline blocker. But because Howard has such great pass-catching ability, teams kind of have to account for him on defense. So outside of Jackson, the group has just a ton of size. There's not a single wide receiver under six feet tall. I mean, they're all over six foot, except for Jackson. They're all very physical. And I think that Jameis Winston still, if you watch that New England game, he missed Deshaun Jackson a number of times. He's still trying to find his chemistry with Deshaun Jackson. He missed him on deep passes. He missed him, he missed him, excuse me, missed him shallow. He just, he underthrew him, overthrew him. It, It was ugly. But the ball has been spread pretty evenly across the entire group. I mean, you figure Cameron Bray, Humphreys, and Evans have at least 20 receptions and a minimum of 250 yards. Do we have that, Chris? No. <laughs> no the, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't have a quarterback that anticipates throws. I mean, the, the, the Buccaneers, the thing about their passing attack is that they can spread the ball around because Humphreys is like Brait, and Brait is like Humphreys in the sense that they're both big, they're physical, they can get open on smaller D-backs. Evans is Evans. And Jackson has speed. How do you defend all of that at the same time? I mean, that's what it comes down to. I mean, it's... And when they get in the red zone, it's not even Mike Evans who's getting the looks. I know people who play fantasy are pissed about it, but Cameron Brait has four touchdowns in the red zone this year. I mean, I mean, that's a tight end. 
That's your tight end. You're feeding him when you get into the red zone, which is what smart football teams do because he's a mismatch against linebackers and safeties. Plus, that's not your freshly drafted number first round tight end out of Alabama. <laughs> no, because but that's the thing. Everyone's looking at OJ Howard like, oh, well, when is he going to break loose? Well, he doesn't because he's a, a fantastic blocker. They can use him as a pass catcher. They're just not doing it. But teams still have to account for him, which is freeing up Brait into almost single coverage, which is a mismatch against almost any defense in football. Okay? He can stretch the field. He has at least one catch of 15 yards or more in each of his three last three games. He's going to be their version of Gronkowski for the foreseeable future, and we need to be ready for that on Sunday. And then you look at the personnel groupings that that wide receiver group lets them have. Given the different skill sets and size that they have, when you look over the stats in the uh, post-game write-ups, just the snap counts, their favorite offensive formation, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. That allows them to put Humphreys, Evans, Brait, Jackson, and a running back out there on the field at the same time. They have a clear size advantage, and they enjoy using that formation to try to impose their will on, a fo- on, a, on opposing defenses and kind of dictate what is a, a chess match. You know, size against size, speed against speed. You have to double one of them, but who's getting the ball? I think that Tampa Bay on offense seems like they should be in a really good spot. I mean, if you if you put more DBs on the field to try to take away the extra receivers, you've got less physicality to defend the short intermediate passes to Cameron Bright and to Mike Evans. You know, if it, if it's a button hook, Mike Evans is going to catch that every day. There's no wide there's no cornerback on the Bills team that's going to box him out from that. Well, you you have the running back tight end through uh, trips receivers running back I assume is Doug Martin what's Doug Martin in the passing game out of the backfield he's not terrible but they don't utilize him a ton in that role and that's the one thing that I think is their Achilles heel is that they don't have a good pass catching running back aside from the fact that their biggest Achilles heel really comes from what's going on under center okay first and foremost this week comes with a massive flyer Now, as we said, there's no spread for this game right now because we don't know who starts at quarterback. But regardless of who does, I mean, there's there's question marks. I mean, last week, Chandler Jones delivered a shot to Winston, fell directly on his throwing arm. He was removed from the game, and the injury has since been diagnosed as an AC joint sprain. They said that he could come back and play if if it was an emergency. But ultimately, they let Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of lead the charge. And I think that the Cardinals kind of fell asleep on defense. Everyone's like, oh, they made this great comeback behind Fitzpatrick. I think it's one of those things. When you win by 30, you just start playing prevent defense. and You try to make them run the clock out. That's what it comes down to. Ultimately, when I look at the quarterbacks, this is what I, this is what I see. First and foremost, I took a look at the you know, I had questions. AC joint sprain throwing shoulder. I start pouring over things on the internet because I'm curious. And I stumbled across Dr. David Geyer, G-E-I-E-R, almost like my last name, dot com. This guy has appeared on CNN, ESPN, and has contributed to papers like USA Today and the New York Times on sports medicine. And yet, you could have pulled out your phone and called Kyle Trimble. (laughs) But you didn't. Well, he's already done the research. I'm not going to ask Kyle to drop everything when he's with his pregnant wife. 
Some of the statistics that Dr. David Geyer produced were, I don't know, they were interesting. Based on data collected from 2000 to 2011, okay, it was surprising when you look at what AC joint sprains were over the course of a decade. First and foremost, AC joint injuries comprised 29.2% of all NFL shoulder injuries. Okay, Almost a third of every shoulder injury affects the AC joint. Quarterbacks have the highest incident rates of AC injuries. Only 1.7% of all AC joint injuries required surgery. Okay, so it's rare. It is rare that someone hurts that joint badly enough that it knocks them out and they have to go under the knife. But the average time missed for an AC joint injury during that decade was 9.8 days. That last stat is the one that I think is most important to Bills fans. Now, this coach can say whatever he wants about his quarterback being day-to-day and that he'll start if he's healthy. And You're almost obligated to say that as a coach because you can't tip your hand. You've got to keep the opposing defensive coordinator honest. But it's also being reported by NBC Sports outlets that Winston won't throw a single ball this week in practice. With an average recovery time of almost 10 days, it seems like a stretch that even a minor AC injury to that shoulder would allow Winston to play on Sunday. Yeah, and as great as our defense has been playing, if we get hits on Winston... Well, exactly. We're going to... Would you risk aggravating it? Yeah, we're going to risk further injury for him. I mean, the way I look at it is that... It's not like Fitz, where we hit him (laughs) and he just lands on that soft beard. (laughs) <laughs> it cushions the fall. What I know is that if a player doesn't practice and isn't part of the game plan installation and walkthrough portion of the week's kind of program, then they have to be considered a long shot to play. I feel like for a non-elite level quarterback, that's more of an issue. I don't know, just considering that your plan of attack will vary every week. I mean, think about it. If you're Tom Brady, you have a playbook. And you're going to stick to the playbook no matter who you're playing because you assume, I'm Tom Brady. I'll throw this ball all over you. When you aren't that level of quarterback, you have to game plan. You have to watch tape. You have to say, okay, these are the plays we're going to install to try to pick on the defense's weaknesses to put our quarterback in the best position to succeed. Plus, what it goes by what you said a little bit earlier. You, you don't think that Winston and uh, Deshaun Jackson – have really gotten their chemistry down. No. So if you're not going to throw all week, you're not developing that chemistry with Deshaun. No. I mean, I think all eyes this week need to be on the Tampa Bay practice reports because if he can't practice between now and Saturday, then I don't see any way in hell they start him on Sunday. And that means Ryan Fitzpatrick has to, has to fill in. And if Ryan Fitzpatrick starts, what I will say is that we've all watched him play football. Yes, he can sling the ball around. In the short to intermediate areas of the field, he's got some accuracy. It's why he's still in the league. Ultimately, though, this is a team that's built to threaten you down the field vertically. That's the scary thing about their defense. Excuse me, their offense. That's the thing that makes this wide receiver group so dangerous is they're big and they're physical and they're long and they can get down the field on you. When you lose that, I'm sorry, but I feel like you stop being so threatening which means you're going to see more single high safety coverage. You're going to see a lot of in-the-box zone. You're going to see a lot of man press. Things could get ugly really quick for Tampa Bay. 
And on the flip side of the ball, the defense. Yeah, hold hold on there. Reading all of this, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not I'm not a football dude, but in your notes here, there is two words that you're missing. And what's that? Gerald McCoy. <laughs> Gerald McCoy is a talent. He's an all-world talent at defensive tackle. And yet, and yet, even with the presence of guys like Robert Ayers and Gerald McCoy and Levante David and, you know, Quan Alexander, NFL.com ranks the Tampa Bay defense as the 30th overall unit in the league. I get it. There's a slew of statistics that go into calculating that. But here's the, here's the couple that stand out to me. They are 30th in third down percentage allowed. 46% of the time when teams go for it on third down, they complete, they complete it. 30th in first downs allowed. 30th in completion percentage. They allow 70.9% of all passes thrown to be completed. That's fucking absurd. I don't care who you are. I don't care what injuries you've had. I don't care what... We've had injuries, Chris. 70%? That means two out of every three passes. Do you don't think Tampa Bay might... Whoever, I don't even know who their defensive line coach is or even their D coordinator. But you wouldn't send McCoy to maybe... I know he's a D tackle, so he probably lines up against Eric Wood. And then maybe a guard will double. Wouldn't you want to send him to where he's attacking the right side of our line? You could try, but guess what? They're 32nd in the league in sacks. Even with your your buddy Gerald McCoy here. I'm just speaking for our listeners that are like me that don't know the intricacies of football. <laughs> I, I'm looking over your defensive preview. I'm like, why is there no Gerald McCoy? <laughs> because Gerald McCoy hasn't made a, a significant impact this season. He's not there. They had six sacks. I'm pretty sure that uh, Jerry Hughes almost has six sacks by himself. The one thing when I was trying to look over the defense of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from whatever chink in the armor I could find, okay, because clearly there has to be something there that lends itself to what we do well. And I think I hit the nail on the head. Short area passing defense. Now listen to this. In the last three games, one of the things that stood out to me the most, going over the statistics, and I just look at the completion charts, and I see who caught what where. Teams were able to eat them alive in the short passing game. Wide receivers, tight ends. I mean, they, they, they just... Teams only threw a handful of times deep on the Buccaneers because they didn't have to. They knew that they could complete short passes in front of their defensive backs, and they weren't going to do anything about it. Now... I mean, you figure, okay, we they, for the last two weeks, they didn't have their starting, they have a star outside linebacker in Levante David. And their starting middle linebacker, Quan Alexander, have been out. So you're right. For the last two weeks, that seems like a place where, hey, maybe I'd pick on them. But when I went through the numbers for the entire season, what I found, passes allowed to running backs. Since the beginning of the season, the Bucs as a defense are allowing 86% completion to running backs in the flats and out of the backfield up the middle to the tune of 31 completions on 36% for 225 yards and a touchdown. Against the Minnesota, 
they allowed them to complete 100% of their passes to the running backs. What game, what was it that, who did we open with? The Jets? We opened with the Jets. Didn't McCoy say post-game that they didn't hit a lot of uh, his designed run, his, his designed, designed passing, passing plays. plays. They said that we didn't even show, we didn't even get to half of the plays that were designed to get the ball to me. Maybe we see that this week. I, I mean, this is this would be perfect for it. You're talking about a team that over one, two, three, four, five, six weeks has not been able to stop teams from passing to their running back. Considering that with the injury to Clay, McCoy is our leading receiver. That would seem to be a deficiency that plays directly to the strength of the Buffalo Bills offense. Okay, I get it. There's going to be a lot of things that have to happen right for us to win this game. It's going to be a tough game, just like every game is for the rest of the year, because this team is going to win ugly, and they're going to lose ugly, because we have a defense that will keep us in most games and an offense that probably will let the other team hang around. That's just who we are. But in this game, I see this as a gigantic mismatch. I mean, you look at it. Chicago, they completed 9 of 10. Minnesota completed 8 of 8. The Giants had 4 of 6. New England completed 9 of 12. Teams are having more than 80% efficiency passing to their running backs against this defense. I don't know if it's scheme. I don't know if it's talent. I don't know what it is, but we need to exploit that avenue come Sunday. And that brings me to our keys to victory. LaShawn McCoy is number one with a bullet. We know teams have been trying to take him away all season. We've seen more loaded fronts than any other team in football. But the matchup looks promising, and this is one where our defense, between Tyrod, between Dennison, and between McCoy, they've got to get together and exploit that mismatch to pace our offense for the rest of the day and keep Taylor from having to throw more than 30 times. Because we all know how shitty his track record is once he has to do that. Second, pressure in the A-gap. It doesn't matter who lines up under center for the Buccaneers. Getting pressure up the middle without blitzing is going to be key to keeping the passing attack grounded. Last season, James Winston was one of the NFL's best-rated quarterbacks against the blitz. But he struggles to go through his progressions without a blitz. And with pressure in his face, his passes kind of turn erratic and his completion percentage drops significantly. We've all seen Fitzpatrick play, so we know that given his lack of arm strength, if he's in the pocket and we put pressure in his face, there's turnovers there to be had. We talked about this uh, before we started recording. For anybody that gets to watch Tampa, if you have the Sunday ticket or... If you go over to a raving lunatic's house that has <laughs> Sunday ticket, and even if you watched him in college, he's still doing it in the pros. I told you that there's like three to five throws that Winston makes per game where just an average fan like me just yells at the why would you throw that? He just there are certain there are throws that he makes where it it's like what what you say about Tyrod, he always takes a sack. Yep. Just throw it away. Winston will throw the ball when you should just throw it away. And you were saying you think he makes like seven to ten of those a game. Oh no, I'd put I'd put the number right around seven to ten throws per game that I watch Jameis Winston play in. Yeah, I don't think it I don't think it's that that high. make me angry. Like if I was a Tampa Bay fan, I'd be throwing my I'd be throwing a bar stool. But I'm not, so I'll just yell. 
about it. And just be like, what is that guy doing? What the hell is that throw? Especially when you're playing New England. But ultimately, he's not that accurate. And so if you can get pressure without blitzing, especially up the middle in his face, it's going to lead to good things for our defense. It doesn't matter who, whether he or Fitzpatrick plays. And then the other key is mixing of our man and zone coverages. Now, this was an interesting thing I just learned about this week. In the offseason, a lot was made about McDermott and Frazier transitioning our team from a man scheme in 3-4, which Rex Ryan tried to implement and failed, to a zone-based 4-3 scheme. And, I mean, it required a whole overhaul of our secondary. But to this point in the season, according to Cover1.net's Eric Turner, the Bills are ranked 19th in the NFL as far as how many times we run man coverage. So what that illustrates is that our defensive coordinating, they're being picky. They're being selective about how they deploy the defensive backs. This game, I mean, you look at the dynamic skill sets of all of the wide receivers in Tampa Bay's group. It's going to take the right mix of both man coverage and zone coverage to not only keep the wideouts covered down the field, but to keep the quarterback holding onto the ball and not just being able to check it down, which will give our four-man rush up front enough time to get home. That's it. That's how you win this football game. doesn't matter who's under center. You take away the deep threat with a little bit of man coverage, you play some zone, and you mix and match your coverages enough to keep the quarterback guessing so that our four- or five-man rush can get there and do their job. If they do that effectively, we should be able to walk out of here with a win. Now, Chris, what is your prediction on the football game? Here's an idea for predictions. Let me know if you follow me here. All right. We don't know if Winston's starting. So why not everyone tune in Saturday to find our predictions when we know who's starting? All right, folks. How about that? How tune about that? In, tune into our Saturday night uh, Twitter and Facebook Live. You'll get our predictions. We'll make the Seagrams bet there in front of everybody. Yeah, because uh, by Saturday, we should know if it's going to be Winston or Fitzmagic. Speaking of Seagrams bet, I was going to try to get out of it, but here on the air, I'll admit it. During the bye week, Chris and I made a bet. And one of us, you know, I, I guess I just didn't pick well enough. I thought with my, uh, I thought hey, with my brain and not with my gut. We both sucked. Chris, I, th- I believe I owe you a sangria. Yeah. This, thing, <laughs> this thing's over a, a year it. old. A year old Seagram sangria. I. But you're lucky. Cavities do not go bad. <laughs> cavities don't go bad. Folks, I screwed up. I picked the wrong games. You oh, got Jesus. four right. Oh, that is awful. My God. All right, folks, we are going to get out of here. But before we do, we got a couple plugs we got to give away. First and foremost, Wise Guys Pizzeria. I'm telling you, not only were they nice enough to let us come in there and shoot that ridiculous video, their owner's a great guy. He's active in the community. He, he, he wants to help rebuild South Buffalo. You know, South Buffalo is kind of coming back. You see the city rejuvenation projects. You see that they're fixing up a lot of the buildings. There's a lot of stuff going on down there. He's lived... He's lived his entire life in South Buffalo. He's married. He raises his kids there. He bought a pizzeria there and wants to help out the neighborhood. He supports every, I don't know, the parade, (laughs) every sports team, whether you're 10 or 15. 
podcasts. He's he's just a community guy. So that's why I support him. On top of the fact that their food's amazing. Yeah, they have like 40 different flavor of wings. I'm going to have 39 because one of those is the Carolina Reaper. <laughs> I've, I've, got, I've got their menu on my fridge, and I literally, every time I order wings, I get a different style of wing, and I mark it off that I've had that. I'll tell you guys, he's a great guy. I urge you to go. If you're in the Buffalo area, go check out Wise Guys Pizzeria. It's over here on Seneca Street in South Buffalo. You're not going to regret it. Secondly, Grandstand Sports Network. I've started blogging again. I've got this itch to write. I don't know what to do with it. So I've started writing a weekly column over at Grandstand. This week's column, I reflected back on last weekend's football games. And I think to myself, you know what? I'm an Alabama fan. I love Nick Saban. I love the fact that he took this program and just shoved it down everybody's throats. But then watching Syracuse beat Clemson. And then seeing that Dabo Sweeney went to the Syracuse locker room and personally congratulated every one of the players and the coaching staff on their their big their big win. It struck a chord with me. I mean, I get it. Nick Saban has developed what he's built a dynasty. The man is a legend. And yet, what is sportsmanship? Because I'll tell you this. It strikes me that Dabo Sweeney is a guy who just won a title would just be so gracious about losing on the road. Whereas Nick Saban will be often seen screaming at his kids on the sideline in the middle of a 66-3 victory. How are you preparing these kids for life? You know, I get it. Your job is to win football games, but your job is also to prep these kids. Not just for the NFL, but also for life. What are you teaching your kids about? I mean, you look at how maybe that mentality of playing under Nick Saban, when you look at guys like Rolando McClain and you look at Marcel Darius, does Dabble Sweeney have any of these guys under his, under his credit? Probably not. We're going to look into it, and I'm going to write an article about it because I've, got, I've just got a bone to pick. Chris, what do you think? That... Dude, I could, as you're talking, my brain immediately went to Butch Jones, Tennessee, <laughs> University of Tennessee head coach, because he said, I believe it was last season, he made some remark about, uh, oh, I'm getting, I got to coach these kids to win at life. There's some win at life reference, and he just got murdered on social media for that. Who cares? What's social media? Guess what? You guys could all roast me on social media. Guess how? Guess how? Guess guess how little I'll sl- how little sleep I'll lose. None. None. Guys, check check out my articles every week on Grandstand Sports Network and catch our podcast over there. There's a ton of cool stuff going on. There's, I mean, hockey season's in full force. Hell we've, yeah! We've added five more hockey podcasts to the network. I'm telling you, it, there's there's a lot out there. Whether you're a Vegas fan, whether you're a Bruins fan, whether you're a Rangers fan. There is stuff out there for all of you to kind of latch onto, listen to, even if you hate them. Sometimes they're interesting. Go check it out, www.grandstandsportsnetwork.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Facebook. We're going to put links to all of it in the description. But, Chris, I mean, ultimately, our Saturday night shows, we got to get this more consistent. We really do. Yeah, we got to get more video going. I'm sure people want to look at your mouth. <laughs> oh my god nobody wants to see that 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 wing video will be in the description of the show 
Guys, thank you so much for coming out tonight and listening to our podcast. Rock Power Report on Twitter, The Rock Power Report on Instagram. Look for Drew at the game. And email us at rockpowerreport 716 at gmail.com. I like reading them. Sometimes they're funny. Other than those of you who tell me to just suck your ass. In which case, you're... <laughs> we will have none of that. We will have none of that. Guys, thanks for coming out and listening to our show. I gotta go. This is Drew Gear. that's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rock Pal Report. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.